You're listening to Shrink the Virus, a weekly podcast that explores the psychology of everyday life during the pandemic, hosted by two psychiatrists, Steve Allen and Rob Seltzer. Shrink the Virus is brought to you by Melbourne independent community media organisation, Triple R. Check out the Shrink the Virus podcast page on the Triple R website and on Facebook. And don't forget, you can financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber at any time. More details at rrr.org.au. And welcome to this week's episode of Shrink the Virus. It is the 13th of June that we're recording on, and my name is Steve Allen, and I'm with my very good friend from school and work, whose name is... Rob Seltzer. And what hey, a great man. name that is. Hey, man, how are you? <laughs> I said that like a footy commentator. Rob Seltzer. Hey, Rob you, know Seltzer. I just, you know, I just realised today, we've got Michelle Leach uh, coming up, and she is just a spectacular uh, interviewee, spectacular researcher, um, head of lots of amazing things. But what I realised was, she was my boss a couple of years ago, and you were my boss a couple of years ago. I should just have a show with all my bosses, like all these people in these amazingly high positions. They can and tell and me, we could, we could tell argue, me how, how terrible I was. We could argue amongst ourselves. <laughs> who, who, Why did we fire him? Yeah. <laughs> have you ever been fired? No. Uh, no, no way. Not from a medical job, no. No, I don't think I've ever been fired from anything either. I'm just trying to think back. Did I ever get fired? I got thrown. In fact, it comes up in the interview how many things I got thrown out of at school and medical school. But I, I don't think I've ever been sacked from a job. No, I actually got told once when I was um, a, a medical student, wasn't an intern, by a surgeon. And I, I know I dropped a forcep or something. He goes, you'd make a really good psychiatrist. And I said, oh, gee, thanks. I didn't realize it was an insult from <laughs> Hey, while you mentioned Michelle, let me just tell you, let's, let's give the listeners a little bit of an intro so they know. Uh, Michelle Leach is a legend. She is a professor at Monash University. She's the Dean in charge of the medical student program, the MBBS. And that includes running the course at Monash, the course that they have at Malaysia, and they also have a course in Gippsland. Um, it's an incredibly senior job in the medical world. It's a huge job. Yeah. And now on top of all that, she's also a qualified and trained rheumatologist. She's a fellow at the Monash Centre for Inflammatory Diseases, and she's Deputy Director of Rheumatology at Monash Health. Um, and uh, she's also the Chair of the Clinical <laughs> Examinations Committee for the Royal Australian and uh, Australasian College of Physicians. She could not be sleeping at night. I mean, how, no. how do you do that much in a, in 24 hours? And as you can find out, she's just a delightful person yeah, who uh, is just incredibly balanced and can somehow keep all of those roles in her head and, you know, put on a different hat for each role. So it's a really great interview. So stick around and have a listen. What's going on in your life, man? Fill us man, in. I've got to tell you, I was shopping today. So I went to the Paran market. I went to the South Melbourne market. I went to the supermarket. Why did you have to go to three different markets? Because uh, we eat a lot in our house, and you know my um. What, what one market doesn't sell enough <laughs> no, for your no, family? No, it doesn't sell as far. Oh God! No, no, no. My daughter wanted to go to one market, and our you know our friend Jimmy said, "Let's have a dinner party." So I had to go to another market. Anyway, but what got me was they were crowded, like they were really crowded, and I was just thinking, I'm not used to crowds. Like it's it's been a while, and. It was reassuring on one hand that, you know, people are back out, but I also get the sense that there's a little bit of complacency, kind of fatigue with the yep. whole social distancing Probably a better thing, word. You know? I've noticed it too. Also, I, 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 I think there's a couple of things. There's some fatigue, there's some complacency, but I also mm. think people have 
almost forgotten. There are so many messages mm. out there about yep. everything we're doing and what's going on. And, you know, there's so much news at the moment that it just seems that people have forgotten. Like when we brought everyone back to work at the hospital, um, you know, they were so getting caught up on all the minutiae of how everything was working that you'd sort of have to say, hey, guys, you're, you're within 1.5 metres of each other. Remember, number one rule, above anything, mm, you know, mm, if there's mm. one thing you have to remember, it's 1.5 metres. Mm. So, mm. You know, and, and, I, and they would give this look of, oh, yeah, sorry. And yeah. part of it, I think, was, you know, just getting confused at the rules. But also, of course, they've been living in, you know, a lot of people have been isolated, so they didn't have to remember. I've just, you've just given me a brilliant idea for an app. It's a mobile phone app that tells you if you're within 1.5 metres of another mobile phone. Oh, like on your car. You know when you back up on your beep, car, beep, it goes... Beep, 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 beep. No, I love the way my, my one goes... Beep, beep. And then when you get closer... Beep, beep, beep. And when you're getting really close... Beep. And then you hear <laughs> smash if you ignore it. Um, oh, well, but, yeah. There, there, now, there's an app on it. Now, Stephen, I reckon... Um, oh, I don't know, I reckon. I know that all these public health interventions, as in social distancing and being really careful about, you know, touching our face and noses and making sure that we wash our hands and that stuff, that's going to have an effect on other communicable diseases. And you've got some research to tell us about that. Yeah, well, in fact, this is a shout out to our good friend, Catherine Devaney, who's been on this show. She texted me this study just yep. about an hour ago. So to be honest, I haven't read the whole damn thing yet, but I'm, I've read all the headlines. And it's basically the head, and it's fr and I'm, I'm not actually reading it from the original source. I'm reading it from News GP, the yep. um, Royal Australian News and yep. College of GP news website. And the headline is Physical Distancing and Good Hand Hygiene, Australian Flu Cases, dropped by more than, guess the figure, guess how much the flu's dropped by in the last month compared to the same time last year? I would say it's dropped by 80%. Well, you're not far off. Bloody no? good guess. It's, get, get, sit down for this, 99%. Get out of here. Yeah. So you the are first, joking. Yeah. So just in wow. last month alone, so when, when, Early on, January and February, wow. we were last year was a bumper season for the flu. Yeah. And you'll remember January and February, we were tracking even higher than last year. And so before COVID hit, you know, there was lots of anxiety. The government bought extra flu shots. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. The flu vaccine was being pushed, pushed, pushed. And then um, the number of cases in the third month dropped by about 50% compared to last year. And mm. then in April, the fourth month, January, February, March, April, yep, dropped by uh, 98%. Overall, it's, been, it's currently 99. So the number of cases wow. in April went from 18,691 last year to 307 laboratory lab-confirmed cases. That, I mean, it's understandable but still astounding that and, is really quite incredible and wow. the number of cases i think i haven't read the fine print on this but it was the same in people with and without the flu vaccine in other words the gist being that and this comes up in the interview today with michelle that public health is more powerful than anything you know and this got me thinking too because you know we've through covid we've learned Lots of stuff. We've learned about infectious diseases. Mm. We've learned about the importance of PPE, you know, protective mm. um, equipment, etc. And all of a sudden, we're learning just how powerful public health mm -hmm. is. So, you know, all of our efforts with um, vaccines and stuff in the flu are totally washed away. It's just blown out of the water by public health. Yeah. And, and you know, we've been saying for years, you know, wash your hands, etc., etc. And this year, because of COVID, we've proven 
just how how powerful public health is. Public health measures just, you know, I'm going to have to swear here, so block your ears, they shit all over our drugs and our medicines. No, I am, I'm, I am blown away. Yeah, amazing percent That is quite amazing, yeah. And look, it may not be the sexiest stuff, like molecules are really sexy and they, you know, they look great on you know, on computer programs and you see the cells getting with the virus and the, and the, and the drug blocking it. Yeah, it's Can I just clarify something there? When you say that the molecules and the cells are sexy, so what sort of porn do you, do you watch? <laughs> okay, we'll get off porn. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just imagining you with your computer open, hidden away from your family, looking at molecules and saying, oh, look at this COVID. Oh, look at this molecule. Oh, my goodness, this one's got three carbon rings. That's where your, that's where your mind goes. That's, that's where really my good. mind goes. Hey, listen, man, we uh, should kick on with the show. Do you want to introduce uh, Michelle Leach? Well, I've already told you about it, so this is all you re- really require. We're just going to play a little bit of a sting, and then you are going to hear the lovely voice of Professor Michelle Leach, Leach, the Deputy Dean of the Medical Student Program at Monash University, plus a rheumatologist, plus pretty much a senior person in everything. Independent Melbourne Radio 3RRR. And joining us now is Michelle. G'day, Michelle. G'day, Steve. G'day, Rob. Hey, Michelle. Thanks so much for joining us here on Shrink the Virus. It's a real treat to have you. Hey, why don't we start the ball rolling? Because we are just saying about all your numerous roles that you have in the medical world. Probably the one that uh, strikes us most is, you know, your job as uh, essentially, you know, Dean of the Medical Students Program at Monash. So what, let's start with that. COVID and training doctors. What's been the implication? Mm, thanks so much, Steve. Yeah, it's been a uh, very interesting uh, roller coaster the last three months for all of my colleagues um, involved in medical education because, and for all of our, our students um, who, uh, at the height of our preparation for the pandemic, many of our students were removed from placements. Uh, as you know, being on placement for health students is really important. So, any kind of health student, including medical students, we need that practicum experience of being on placement. But because of the risks, um, what happened is most of the students uh, really were removed from placement um, and sent home. And this happened all around Australia and all around the world uh, as well. So talking to colleagues all around the world, we've never faced anything quite like this. Uh, one of the things I really noticed was how we all just started communicating with each other literally every day. I've never spoken to so many heads of medical courses from all over the world, Italy, you know, UK, USA, all around Australia, medical deans, Australia, New Zealand, we all just were, were but really in a panic. And uh, we just all got together pretty much twice a week to talk about the disaster that we were facing. But um, what's interesting is how the medical students are really robust. They're, you know, really adaptable. I've been so impressed with them all. And, you know, I think we're coming out the other end. We've been so lucky here, of course, um, to be able to get back onto placement. So you're back on placement now already? Uh, for, for just about all of the senior students. So our big concern, as you could imagine, um, Stephen Robb, is the imminent graduates, you know, the mm. people who are about to graduate. Um, we want them, senior nursing students, senior medical students, all of them, we, we want them to graduate. So they were our first priority and they tended to continue. They were given um, priority for placements, whereas the more junior students were often 
classically for most medical schools around the world, the junior stu students have stayed off placement longer yeah. um, with the idea that they could catch up. Michelle, wasn't there a proposal to use senior medical students in the roles of sort of doctor's assistants in ED in, in case there was a surge of patients? You're right, Rob. Um, in New South Wales, they uh, came up with this role called assistance in medicine. And a lot of my colleagues in New South Wales, they really had their surge or imminent surge workforce much better arranged and organised because they actually felt more concerned that they were going to need these these medical students. You probably heard in Italy they graduated the, uh, the, the medical students early um, to try and help with the really terrible situation that was going on in Italy. Um, in New South Wales, they got a role together with New South Wales Health and HETI put together a role called Assistance in Medicine and they all went into these boot camps. Um, turns out they've mainly, I think as it has been in Victoria, there hasn't really been the cases. So, um, but there has been what they're calling like a, a winter surge um, yeah. where a lot of staff are getting sick. And so some of these assistants in medicine are in there. In Victoria, it didn't really get going. So the Department of Health asked for us to get a sense of how many of the young final year medical students will be interested and they all put up their hands and, you know, they were incredible. Of course they um, did, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that, that bit actually worried me at the time because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I work in a hospital, as you probably know. Now, there was a heap of anxiety in the first month. We had uh, one, one doctor um, upped and left. We lost one mm -hmm. of our doctors, our registrars. Um, lots of the clinical staff, nurses, psychologists, allied health, everything. There was a lot of anxiety. A lot didn't want to work. Now, the thing that struck me was that if I'm a young medical student... I'm going to be balancing, you know, I want to get my career off to a great start. I'm going to feel really bad if I say no to my seniors. We all yeah. know junior medical students just mm. feel like the seniors hold their life in their balance. They don't, as it turns out, but that's what mm. they feel like. And mm. I wondered about, you know, not the ethics so much as, well, yeah, I suppose it is the ethics. I wondered about mm. the ethics of, are we putting them in a position where they can't say no? Um, or whether they're just, their enthusiasm is so great that they're not going to think about their own needs adequately. And so it sort of gets to that issue of, how do we protect them from themselves in our efforts to protect them from COVID? Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful question, and you're really um, my thinking aligns absolutely with yours. And at the time, I was not at all gung ho about this surge workforce. Um, and I actually worked really closely with the medical student reps um, and Australian Medical Student Association, Medical Deans Australia New Zealand, to develop guidelines around. Mm. You know, it really should be opt in. You need to be aware that ordinary placement is way better for you than mm, repetitive mm. tasks. Um, you need to be aware of the risks for yourself and make sure that you are protected. Um, and also, you know, tread carefully. And I'd have to say in general, Steve, that my uh, overall really advice to the medical students was placement is king. Ordinary placement is king. Um, don't necessarily get sucked into this surge workforce uh, situation where you'll be doing okay, you might learn a few interesting things, but it's repetitive. And at the end of the day, we have to graduate totally potential young doctors who, who have skills in all areas. So it's great to get pandemic cognate graduates for sure. Um, but I was very worried about their placement. And to me, it seemed bizarre that the health services were saying, right, get off the placements, um, you know, leave the placements, but we'll have you Come back, here. you know, to be our surge workforce. So Many, but not all, medical deans were very um, concerned about that stance. 
uh, and tended to advise students um, to, to be very cautious and to assess uh, everything from an ethical standpoint. Do you know, for the uh, consultant teaching staff, well, certainly at the hospital I'm at, we really missed the medical students. Like, they have a real presence. And so we were doing a lot of the teaching, and I was doing all my teaching uh, uh, over Zoom. Mm. And whilst it's good, you, it just really lacks, as you say, that context-based thing. I mean, quite apart from mm. the patient interaction, it's the interaction with senior staff and with registrars and trainees. Mm. And you build up this relationship, you know, and there was, there was a palpable kind of missing uh, part mm. of the puzzle you mm. know, in the hospitals. Yeah. Oh, look, I mean, we exactly. Um, they are such a critical part of the team. And we, um, you know, often felt, I think we all like to, um, I think we all love to teach. And, yeah, yeah. you know, the lack of anyone to impart your wisdom to, like, you know, you haven't got anyone to pass on your wisdom. When we saw, we actually got to see the first years for the first time last week. We, we brought the first years in. I was almost weeping with joy, you know, just to see them there. And they, as well, um, were just so happy to see each other. Because, um, you know, just that human connectivity. Yeah. And I guess in the area that you guys are in too, you know, psychiatry, I mean, I mean, Zoom's good, but, but there are certain limitations, right, around, was that a tear I see on your cheek? Like, what's actually going on? I mean, mm. you can do a mini mental state, I guess, over Zoom, but it's not quite the same, is it? Mm. So... Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, yeah, there's real pros and cons of um, of the Zoom, it, it, both for meetings, for work, but also for seeing patients. You know, and I've found some patients, I, I, I like it a little bit more, but, yeah. you know, on average, I don't think, it, you know, on average, face-to-face -face is better. Zoom's mm. about 85% of good and there's better as good and there's the odd patient who prefers Zoom, especially mm. the ones who don't want to travel and mm. also some of the ones who are agoraphobic, don't want to leave the home or mm. the ones who just have various issues. You know, some people feel more comfortable talking when there's no one in the room. So yeah. for some people, it's mm. even better. But using that sort of an, well, not so much using that analogy, but I wonder, you know, in terms of online learning for universities, do you see a do you envisage a time when we could ever get the whole course online? Do you, like, could we teach our overseas students whilst they live in their home towns mm. in whatever country? Mm. Well, at the moment, that's what we've been doing because a lot of our international students have gone home. So all the content is being Zoomed. Um, so obviously the medicine is a, and many health sciences have a real practicum component, um, you know, clinical skills, obviously an early part anatomy uh, it's quite hard to teach some of that conceptual stuff, but the teachers and educators all over the world, medical educators and in Australia, have been so adaptable. Uh, the online learning students are telling me, you know, the preclinical and clinical students, that they're coping remarkably well. Um, something that's been observed, I was in this webinar um, of Asia-Pacific educators and adaptations to COVID teaching, and they were talking about how a lot more interactivity on Zoom um, I don't know if you know, but on you know on Zoom with the chat, you know you can actually students can actually ask each other questions uh, yep. privately, mm. they would not be able to do. So they can sort of get a little bit more interaction. I mean, some of the meetings I've been on, also some of my colleagues can actually write things like "Who's this turkey? What the hell are they saying?" Or you know, so you can actually have these side conversations going on. They'd probably say that a lot about Rob if he was they getting chewed. I reckon it'd be a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they mistakenly send it to everybody. Do you know what my my biggest thing is? I've been eating more minties and uh, Freddo frogs since I've been zooming because normally in tutes, 
I come in with a bag of Freddo frogs and minties mm. and I you know, hand them out to people mm. that ask really good questions or entertain me mm. with a good answer. But because I can't do that on Zoom, I had this big box and so consequentially... I've been eating them. Why don't you hand out cigarettes, Rob? I mean, it sounds like you're well, promoting <laughs> diabetes and bad exactly. diet. What, do, you, what, do you hand out cigarettes as well? What else? So hang, what else wait, wait, hang on. You're equating a minty to a cigarette. Is that what you're yeah, telling me? Roughly. Mm-hmm. Roughly. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> He's a bad um, influence. I'm a very bad influence. Hey, Michelle, um, obviously, uh, there are a lot of international students that come to our universities, and there's been a lot of talk recently about the implications of foreign students not coming to university. Just just take, imagine that, well, you don't have to imagine. I know nothing about how important international students are to the university. Could you take us through that? Mm, yeah. Uh, it's really been for more than a decade now, but the tertiary sector's been through some big changes over the years where... Um, there was a lot of, you know, there was a reduction in, in funding, particularly yeah. during the Howard era and the suggestion that we should go to fee-paying, fee you know, situation in the tertiary sector. And universities were sort of essentially told, look, you're going to have to sink, sink or swim, you know, this yeah. is the funding. Um, so largely many of them have tried to diversify their incomes and one of the ways they've done that is through uh, essentially education and for many universities, the international student income is crucial to the ongoing functioning of the university, um, without which we couldn't offer places to local students. Um, so it's really, it's a pretty crucial part of university funding for most universities. And you can see this now with, you know, some universities with 30 days income, uh, 30 days um, left money in the bank. Really? Really? Yeah, it's that like tight? That. Mm. Wow. Very tight. And, um, you know, there's sweeping uh, changes. You probably heard about the, the wage restructure. At most yeah. universities, there's been, um, uh, you know, staff, senior staff especially, taking a sort of a, a wage cut to try and save jobs. Um, but, yeah, it really does make it an enormous difference to the income, to the bottom line. Do you, do you reckon we'll lose international students over... Look, I mean, once the pandemic settles, do you think we'll mm. lose international students? Do you think there'll be less appetite for living away from your family in your home country? It's hard to say, isn't it? I mean, one of the things that the Australian um, and Victorian uh, governments, I think, have handled things, you know, really, really well. And um, so far, at least, we've had a, an incredible... Um, We've been very lucky uh, and there's the perception, I think, that Australia is a very safe place to, to live and study. Uh, my understanding from talking to our international students, which we Zoom with very regularly, um, many of them really want to come back and we haven't lost the enrolments of those students. Uh, so, look, I think there's going to be some messages from Chinese nationals and, and other internationals who are living here now and experiencing how, you know, calm and essentially uh, civilised everything is, uh, those mess- that messaging will be going back as well. And then there'll be the government messages. You know, it just struck me though, you know, pretty much you know, there are so many people keen to study medicine that, mm. you know, even if one whole market dropped out, so like say China, the Chinese market did drop out, mm. my guess would be there'd be a queue a mile long from other countries of people. Mm. It's more the courses that aren't so popular that where Australia has to compete on the world market. Yeah. You know, medical yeah. students, every medical spot the world over in any, um, you know, decent mm. medical school mm. is, is mm. full. So it's less likely to impact medicine, I suppose. 
It won't, no, it certainly won't impact medicine. It might, and health has done pretty well. Mm. It might impact, uh, it certainly impacted Biz Echo and other courses. I mean, most countries, as we know, many countries around the world, including Victoria, um, there's that saying about most children when they're born know that they want to be a doctor the minute they're born, it seems. And uh, yeah, with the know, minute they see a portion, they say, I want to buy one of those. That's it, they want to be a doctor. So, <laughs> they want to be a surgeon. That, yeah, they want to be a neurosurgeon. Yeah, don't yeah. be a psychiatrist, trust me. You get a VW yeah. Golf. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a still pretty, that's still pretty that's good. That's a nice car. Um, rheumatology is not much, uh, rheumatology is, yeah, Corolla. It's because <laughs> you're like us, Michelle, you don't have an intervention, you don't have a procedure. Yeah. And you do no, public medicine. Easy. I bet you don't have a big private practice. No. That's, no, that's no. the same as us. Um, mm. But if you think about it, I mean, my thinking is that what are the alternatives? If, if, you, if you're living in a country and you want to go study somewhere, I mean, you could go to Australia. Fantastic place. Mm. Are you going to go to the US with the problems there, especially where they have got, mm. it seems like they're not containing COVID well. And there's, you know. Um, you know unrest. Yeah, and there's political issues at the, coming from the top. Mm. Are you going to go to Europe? Are you going to go to the UK? I mean, it's a pretty mm. good place to come. If I mean, quite apart is, from the alternatives. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know how yeah. this is going to pan out. I think it's probably not going to pan out as badly as people uh, th think it is. Mm. Agree. Mm. Now, Michelle, I if agree, we could, Rob. If we could switch tack, and if you could put on your rheumatology beret, because you, you, you speak mm. French, don't you? I do, I'm poor, yeah. Well, not on poor, not on poor. I was once, I remember I was at a meeting with you and this French woman came up and you spoke perfect French and you just lapsed into it, yeah. lapsed out, it was very impressive. Anyway, so, you know, uh, Rob and I studied, did you study French up to VCE or yeah, HSC? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I got thrown out in HSC, <laughs> but nevertheless, I did but, French all the way up to HSC and and per is about as much as I can understand. Yeah, why'd you get, why, why did you get thrown out? Well, was the question. it was something to do with misbehaviour <laughs> yeah. and not refusing yeah. to apologise. I you got thrown out of a lot of classes. I did. I got thrown oh, out of music years before that. I've been thrown out of... So, so they almost threw me out of medical school, you know. The, the, in fact, this is one of my favourite things ever. The D... The, um, Pennington, you know, who was the big boss oh, when I was at Melbourne Uni, when I went up to my unsatisfactory progress committee for, I think, the third time running, he opened the conversation with, I think it's time to face facts, Mr. Allen. It's time for you in this course <laughs> to part ways. Hey, Pennington, I'm now a professor at Melbourne Uni. They wanted to throw me out. Can you believe it? How mean. Sorry, uh, Rob, I interrupted you. I think a lot of professors have just about been thrown out of, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's a well-trodden path, Steve. Well, I think yeah. in Stephen's case, it's overcompensating for, yeah. for what happened to him in medical school. So you've got your uh, rheumatology Rheumatology beret, beret. yeah. Now, we've heard a lot about this phrase called cytokine storm mm. in reference to the second phase of the coronavirus infection. Could you take us through it and ex pretend, pretend Steve and I are really dumb, just have to pretend it. Take uh, us through it, what it actually means and the implications. Mm. Well, that's very difficult because I think um, the, uh, you're going to be able to edit this, aren't you? Because someone's just knocking on my door. No, we, we leave everything, we everything in. This is a real life interview. In. Yeah. yeah. Okay, an urgent knock on the door. Uh, at any rate, um, so cytokine storm. So firstly, um, the word cytokine means like cytocell, kind, move, oh. cell movers. Okay, oh. so okay. cytokines or cytokinesis means substances that are, can powerfully move cells around. And um, so the bottom line is your immune system is very um, smart and if it senses anything, uh, in your system, 
um, you know, in your circulation, if it senses foreign DNA, if it senses naked DNA there or naked RNA, it knows it's not meant to be there. It's whether that comes from your own cells or from an invader. Mm-hmm. It, it's an immediate danger signal. Like we're just hardwired to respond to that. And the first responders are often cells like macrophages, which are the kind of cells that um, are like sentinels. To, and they, they will release large amounts of cytokines. Mm-hmm. Um, now, most of the time your immune system is your friend and all of that will, will be good for you. You know, you'll release some cytokines, you'll get a handle on the invader, you'll deal with it and you'll get it done. But for some people, you know, your immune system is not your friend. It's, a, it's really twitchy. And uh, when it senses this invader, it, it has a massive, massive, massive release of cytokines. And so to some extent, your own immune system, if too vigorous, can actually kill you. It's just a bit too, you know, it's, a, it's, um, it's responding too strongly in a sense. So this cytokine storm, which seems to happen to some people, um, and we know the people who succumb to COVID are either very elderly people who presumably their immune system is not responding to the virus enough and it, it, you know, replicates, replicates, replicates and gets the upper hand. But there are also these occasional, you know, younger people or sporadically other people who just have this massive response. And so when this happens, these cytokines are released, you get these cell movers and essentially these immune cells or white blood cell soldiers just start moving all over the place to try and fight this virus, you know, in particular, maybe towards the lungs, all the little tiny blood vessels get clogged up with cells trafficking, trying to get in and out to get, you know, the so little tiny blood vessels get damaged. Mm. Um, even you get, uh, you know, clotting in these really tiny, mm. tiny blood vessels, which is one of the problems in this um, acute respiratory distress syndrome that we see. So how do you so turn off the cytokine storm? Right. So cytokine how do you turn it off? Like, yeah. How do you turn it off? Yeah, it's like it's warfare. So we in rheumatology, we look after people whose immune systems aren't their friends. Um, so normally your immune system is there to look out for uh, something coming from the outside to get you. A lot of the people we look after are where their immune system has got confused and wants to is bored and looking for trouble and wants to fight a war against some of their own mm. organs or tissues, right? We call that autoimmunity. So when we're looking after those patients, we're trying to dampen their immune system a bit. We're trying to calm it down and say, hey, calm down, stop attacking you know, your kidneys or your joints or whatever else. So we're often suppressing the immune system of people with these so-called autoimmune diseases. Um, so when this COVID um, pandemic began, we were obviously very concerned because these folks have an immune system that's dialed down a bit by our drugs. And we wanted to ensure that they weren't going to succumb in large numbers to this pandemic. Um, so far, we're not really seeing this. Um, we, there is a, a really large um, uh, Professor Phil Robinson from Brisbane is like the Australian head of a, a really large um, global alliance on COVID reporting in rheumatic diseases and um, has been keeping an eye on all the cases around the world, you know. Uh, but so far, we haven't really seen that our patients particularly are succumbing by virtue of, you know, their drugs and things like that. Mm. But I was wondering, like, do you have skills from rheumatology from dampening down the immune system that mm. are transferable to COVID for when people get a cytokine storm? Are like their rheumatology tricks to try and stop the cytokine storm? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we have a very good handle on all those drugs. So each of those cytokines, um, and there's a range of them, and I won't say their names now. The listeners all probably have, um, you know, fall into a deep comatose sleep. Uh, I won't mention the names of those, but we have a, essentially we have a, an antibody or a molecule that can block pretty much all of those different cytokines. And in um, in COVID, some of them have been shown to be quite elevated and we know that they are culprits. Um, so we could apply some of our therapies, but we would always do that in conjunction with our infectious diseases colleagues yeah. because, mm. you know, whilst we understand the drugs, we don't understand the disease the way they do. So it would have to be a team effort. But, yeah, we would have a few tricks in our tool bag. So that leads us to the question of uh, chloroquine, because mm. that, as you know, has been touted as a potential uh, prophylactic agent or treating agent. Mm. Tell us a story, I mean, beh- briefly, uh, behind mm. that and where we're up to with chloroquine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, my colleague uh, and head of the unit uh, at Monash, Professor Eric Moran, published you know, an article in the paper about this and there's been quite a lot written about it. Um, biggest concern we had was that we couldn't actually access uh, hydroxychloroquine for the patients who really need it. Uh, mm. With a lupus in particular, they need that drug and we were running short. And there was probably a very um, significant evidence lacoon relief that, that this drug was actually effective. So I think in the case of the cytokine storm, firstly, Plaquenil, I don't know if you remember from medical school, you two, but they used to be called SARDs, like slow-acting anti-rheumatic disease drugs, you know, or disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs. Oh, DMARDs. Plaquenil is one of those. DMARDs, yeah, Yeah. DMARDs. But they used to be called SARDs, which sounds like some kind of soap or something. But anyway, (laughs) That's immediately what I thought. I thought you did. (laughs) I don't remember anything about rheumatology from medical school. That's okay. I can remember just something about psychiatry. Uh, at any rate, um, low acting. <laughs> so the whole point with Plaquenil is if you give someone Plaquenil, they're not going to experience any kind of benefit until about six weeks later. It's very oh, slow. Right, that's so far too slow for COVID. Firstly, it didn't make any sense. I mean, just because someone had put it into a test tube and it had antiviral, uh, just about anything you put in vitro will have some kind of antiviral effect potentially but does that mean you know that we should put detol in people's bodies yeah. oh, actually someone suggested that forget yeah. go on go on with yeah, what you were that saying turkey, that turkey that's right so the question here is that uh, firstly plaquenil is very slow acting so i couldn't imagine it would ever help someone who was dying from a cytokine storm it's yeah. way too slow but even in terms of prevention i mean it seems crazy to me because we, we can already see the impact of public health intervention. I mean, public health intervention is so powerful. Yeah. You know, prevention mm. is better than cure. And sometimes I just get really just this whole biodiscovery stuff. Yes, it's great, but public health is powerful, you know? And um, so the thing about the, the trials that are going on now, I wouldn't want to be running one of those because yeah. public health has been very effective. Yeah. How are you going to prove prevention? Do you know, I, I reckon this public health intervention is going to excite a whole lot of future doctors to go into public health because yeah, it's been, definitely. when it's done well, it's so effective. It's just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I agree, hey, Rob. 
our final question that we love to ask is we like to ask, is there anything or one thing in particular that you're doing now differently, differently than before the pandemic that you'll mm. sort of carry on? It's, you know, what's something you've personally learned from this whole thing that you want to take on throughout the rest of your time? Uh, it's really tricky. So there's a lot of things. I'm trying to think about what is the one, like crystallised into the one really useful thing. I think, look, there's so many stupid meetings that we probably don't need to have. And I think something about Zoom shows you how stupid they are. So we can definitely cull quite a few meetings. And there's probably a lot of others we just could do by Zoom and get better participation. Um, that's on a, a, a sort of work at home. Just I've on got... that topic while you're thinking of home, you know, yeah. I couldn't agree more. And the thing that I've really struck me about the meetings is that most of the time the average person in the meeting, especially if there's more than five people, doesn't actually need to be doing a lot. So now that it's on Zoom, I can listen mm. to the meeting, duck in and out when I need to with comments, mm. answer emails, just get so much more done yes, rather so than sitting done. in some mm. office in the hospital for five minutes mm. contribution in an hour. Anyway, on to the personal thing. Oh, the personal thing is just that um, this is going to sound ridiculous to you, Steve, of all people, but I've always wanted to be able to uh, like read music because I've never been able to read ah. or play music. So I've been doing this online course at Yale University on oh, history of music, right? Yeah. But then I've also started just starting. I'm really in my infancy trying to read music, you know, but um, I've got oh, a long way to go. Michelle, I've done Michelle, a couple of, yeah. Steve can't read music. Oh, well, <laughs> well, I've done a couple of courses too. So I've, I did one. I've done an online one also, and but oh, I also right. did a, an adult education one about 10 years ago because it is such an, a, a useful skill. Do you play mm. an instrument as well? Never have played an instrument. Because that's and the other fun thing to do. You yeah. can. There yeah. are so many good lessons online now. I've yeah. been doing during the pandemic, been doing guitar online. I've I've learned bass in the. I'm a drummer, obviously, but I've learned yeah. bass in the past, um, face to face. But I've been learning guitar. Just I mean, you know, I don't need to not advertise. Fender. I'm using just the Fender program. You know, you pay. I think it's about fifteen, twenty bucks a month, and you have as many yeah. lessons as you like. You sit there in front of your computer. It's so much fun. Mm. Yeah, well, I've got a keyboard, so that's what I'm trying to do to learn, yes. to help me learn it. But very, 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 I'm, I'm so, it's early days, early days. I'll, I've watched you on the drums, Steve. You're, you're a bloody good drummer. <laughs> it um, is. <laughs> Thank you. It's amazing. And I think his ADD really helps. Like, he's yeah. so, uh, you know. <laughs> With the fly. I, I honestly think that half the drummers in the world have attention deficit disorder. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, and because we all tap. You just watch us in a room, you know. Yeah. And I remember my parents at five having to tell me, Steve, stop tapping. It's the dinner table. Stop tapping. Stop yeah. tapping. Did, yeah. did you yeah. ever read the um, Oliver Sacks in one of his case vignettes talks about a drummer he treated with Tourette syndrome? Mm. And um, the, his Tourette's improved with whatever tablets he used. But he came back a couple of months later and said, my drumming is just... It just doesn't have the flourishes. It doesn't have the creativity I used to have. Right. And so, Maybe. as I recall, I think he stopped the medication to get that those, you know, that kind of flourish back, the yeah. that impulsive type of stuff. The, the, so yeah, the, swings and roundabouts. Yeah, exactly. Michelle, it's been fantastic having you. Thank you so much for taking some time out thanks of your day. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Stephen Rob. I feel really honoured. Oh, thanks for coming on. It's great. I've been listening. I've been a fan for so long. And then I got on here. I just couldn't believe my luck. Before (laughs) I die, I want to get on radiotherapy. I'm on. Well, you're not quite on radiotherapy. You're on Shrink the Virus. I'm on on Shrink the Virus. (laughs) And you can come on radiotherapy. Yeah, you're definitely welcome. You're welcome on radiotherapy anytime you like. Please. I'm with the talent. I'm with the talent. That's the main thing. Thanks, Michelle. Fantastic. Thank you. Cheers,
So that was an amazingly interesting interview, and it could have gone for... I, look, Steve, I could have sat here for the next 24 hours just asking Michelle questions because she knows lots about a whole lot of different areas. And really importantly, she's the boss of how we train future doctors. And, you know, in terms of health, that's a pretty big thing to be thinking about at the moment. So hope you enjoyed that interview. Hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to tell your friends, neighbours, family. Anyone you walk past in the street. That's right. Carry a big sign and say, subscribe. <laughs> Thanks, virus. Um, yeah, let me run through the emails and stuff. Don't forget you can email us with any questions, comments, anything you'd like to hear on the show, and that's at shrinkthevirus at gmail.com. Um, we've also got all the usual things on social media. Pretty much just search Shrink the Virus on Facebook, Instagram, or uh, Twitter, and you'll find us. Um, you can check out my webpage too, steveallen.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-E-L-L-E-N. Two ways. Um, and uh, and if, do you want to do the thank yous, Rob? Yeah, I just look, uh, of course, this show could not get anywhere near to being put out there if it wasn't for a whole lot of really fantastic people. And they are Beck, Mia, Grace, Elizabeth, and Michael at Triple R. Thanks so much, guys, for making this happen. And don't forget to listen to our show called Radiotherapy on 3RRR every Sunday at 10 a.m. Um, we've had some great guests in the last few weeks. Um, oh. so uh, And you can also listen to a, the podcast of that. In fact, it's also on um, the RRR website, rrr.org.au. Thanks for listening, everyone. Cheers. You're listening to a RRR podcast. Discover more podcasts from RRR exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform.